Welcome to Pandemic Park. This is the TEH Podcast, Episode 94. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. This week, we have two guests with us. Kay Sabitz, the man, the myth, the legend behind FreePrintable.net and FactZero.com. And Ken Gagneet. Now, Ken, you've got down here technical account manager at, at, at Atomic or Automatic Works. You see, I can't even pronounce it. What should I really describe you as? What? Isn't that enough? It's dry. It's boring and unpronounceable. Apparently. <laughs> well, let's see. My opinions are my own after all. So why don't we call me uh, world traveler, Star Trek podcast co-host, and Apple II aficionado? Cool. Man cool. about town. <laughs> Man about the planet, except you're not actually going anywhere right now. Well, that's certainly gotten more complicated, but we can talk about that. Yeah. So what's been going on this week, guys? That much. (laughs) (laughs) And that's our show. Talking to you guys is the highlight of my week. This is my big social outing. (laughs) Wow. I actually had, let's see, I had a... uh, a few of us were at a social gathering on Friday night. I was there briefly. Cocktail party on Zoom. And, virtual uh, cocktail party. Yeah, Actually, virtu- yeah, it worked out not too bad. There were, I think, at most, I think we had what twelve or fourteen people there at one time. I think so. I was yeah. When I was there, I think it was about ten. Mm-hmm. The technology worked out well, and it was fun to see the birthday boy and all that. But in the end, it was still a cocktail party, and I felt like I always do. Like, oh, here's a room full of people that I don't. I have to make small talk with, and so. <laughs> <laughs> So they haven't, technology hasn't fixed that problem of just being socially awkward. Actually, what kind of world do we live in where an introvert who's just at home by himself still doesn't feel comfortable? (laughs) (laughs) The the neat thing about about Zoom, large Zoom meetings like that, though, is that in many ways, they're definitely not like a cocktail party. Like there wasn't somebody who decided that he needed to talk to you and drug you over to a corner and made you feel even more awkward, right? Yeah, Ken. There's... (laughs) There's always in the in a large enough meeting. There's always someone uh, who basically takes the conversation, and as we've seen with Zoom, um, uh, we had an experience not that long ago where a, a Zoom group tried to sing Happy Birthday to somebody, and that doesn't work because Zoom doesn't mix audio. It actually just picks by some random algorithm who should be heard and apparently it's the loudest and worst singer for happy birthday that's the real <laughs> zoom scandal right there right there yes sing happy birthday why why are the journalists covering that so we decided not to do that but of course the people you know the extroverts in the crowd they were more than happy to talk to one another and you could sort of sit down there in the lower corner of the screen and just listen you know that was okay i had a i had another party on saturday night and this was a poker game and we played uh, Texas Hold'em with a group of friends of mine, all of whom were pretty local, but we were all sitting in our own houses. Uh, and we did Google Hangouts for this mm-hmm. um, and Poker Stars for the poker game. So everybody had two windows open, one with the poker software and the other one with, uh, with us all video chatting. And it had been a group that had played the same game many times in person. Maybe that helped a lot, but mm-hmm. it kind of really, after a short time, it just kind of felt like we were all there. I've been doing something very similar with the computer game Jackbox. Have any of you played that before? No. No. So there are six different volumes, and each one has four to five different mini games, and only one person needs to own Jackbox. So you boot it up, you stream the screen. And the very first page, it says, everybody who wants to play, pull out your phone, you go to your browser, go to jackbox.tv, and type in this room code. And that admits you into the game as a player. It's up to eight players. And so you're all watching the screen. You're responding to these trivia questions, uh, submitting fake answers to try to uh, trick each other. It's a lot of fun. And when you get bored with one game, which takes about 10 minutes to play, you switch to one of the other games in the pack. Hmm. Also, um, Cards Against Humanity, uh, which is a game that, that I think most of us have played, some of us together, um, yes. they've released uh, kind of a rules or information on how to play that online with friends. And uh, you know, as long as you have webcams or whatever, you, they've figured out a way that you can uh, 
play that in a socially distanced way. Also, they came out with um, recently a uh, uh, Cards Against Humanity Family Edition, um, which uh, they apparently they had been working on for more than a year, uh, and they decided to release it so that you could print it at home and give families something to do. So uh, we printed out a, a deck of, of uh, family edition Cards Against Humanity and uh, played the other night and uh, had fun with the, the 13-year-old. So, I was going to say, does that mean then that all the language and, and innuendo has been removed? It, it's, it's like a lot of fart jokes and boobies and things like that. It's, it's PG-13. Okay. Um, yeah, but the, the, real, the real weird stuff has been taken out. I was going to say the real reason most people play Cards Against Humanity has been taken out is what you're saying. <laughs> well, right. It was, it was saucier than apples to apples, uh, but uh, we had a lot of fun with it. Good, good. Um, so, Ken, I've got you down here. It's funny, the notes, as I think most of our listeners know, we have a shared Google Doc open while we're doing this kind of stuff. And I show you as being down for something called contract tracing. And I suspect that that's not exactly um, what was intended. So contract tracing is when you go to buy a house and they yeah. put over a sheet of paper and they outline. No, no, no. Contract tracing is indeed what I want to talk about. Shall we open with that? Please do. So this is regarding the COVID-19 pandemic, and it is some new technology that Apple and Google are collaborating on, in fact. So uh, contact tracing is what it's supposed to be, is when you are diagnosed with the disease, you want to find out who you have been in contact with, not only to help figure out where it came from, but also who you may have uh, affected or, or given the disease to. And that helps epidemiologists trace the progression of the disease through a society and a culture. Now, there are not a lot of great ways to do this right now. There's certainly nothing uh, universal or federally mandated happening. So even in places where there are apps to help you do this, it's still opt-in and people need to download apps. I think in China, only 12% of people opted in to the contact tracing well, I was, I was going to say, isn't China, they don't need to opt in. They've been opted in by their government, haven't <laughs> they? I mean, they're, they're already kind of doing this contact tracing, I thought. It's possible. I, I, I'm certainly not the authority on this. Okay. So I may have some details incorrect. Uh, but the contact tracing that Apple and Google are working on is not going to use an app. It's not going to use... Uh, bracelets like I think Hong Kong is handing out. Uh, what it is going to use is, I'm trying to find that 12% statistic. Maybe I just made that up. Um, anyway, oh, here it is. I'm sorry, 12% was the statistic for Singapore, not China. Ah, okay, that makes sense. My bad. And the bracelets are what is being done in Hong Kong. But what Google and Apple are going to do is this is actually going to be built right into the operating system. You still need to opt in, but you don't need to download anything. And what happens is if and when you are diagnosed with COVID-19, your health provider will give you a one-time use code that you now punch into your phone. And all this time, up until the diagnosis, the phone has been detecting the proximity of other phones in the area, presuming that the phones are attached to people. And when you punch in that one-time use code, it reports it not only to a health database, but it also can indicate to the people that you were in contact with to say, hey, in the last two weeks, you've been in proximity to somebody who was just diagnosed with this disease. It would not indicate who that person was, so your identity is safe. And it's admittedly not a perfect system because in de determining proximity via Bluetooth is not reliable. So you could have been within six feet from Tell somebody. to my headphones. <laughs> within 15 feet. Right, right. So nonetheless, this is an interesting proposal. There are certainly some privacy concerns and it being opt-in helps. Some might also say that it comes too late, that this is what we should have been doing back in January. And they are correct. But one another article I read says that there are really four stages to, for example, opening up our economy. Uh, the current stage where we're all locked down, the second stage where as the curve starts to flatten or even decline, we selectively open up parts of it based on region and industry. And the third part is a full opening, but the fourth part 
is preparing for the next pandemic, which is inevitable. And the fact that we have these tools now, even if it's too late for this pandemic, lays a good foundation for the next time. So I thought this was an interesting proposal, even though in some ways it is inexact and a little bit too late. I think it's still a good step that Apple and Google are taking. What do you all think? So I'm wondering um, what, what kind of additional location tracking they're enabling uh, that isn't already in use. And I say that because, uh, for example, uh, with uh, I'm, an, I'm in the Android camp, uh, although I suspect this functionality is available in, in Apple's version of Google Maps as well. I've got location sharing turned on. And so does my wife, and we share it with one another so that we can see where we each are, um, you know, when we're out and about. And I certainly get that the information isn't, I wouldn't call it real time, and I certainly wouldn't call it, uh, you know, accurate to, well, certainly not accurate to what, six feet, whatever the, the distance is they're, they're saying today. Um, but it's accurate to, you know, within, say, 100 feet or a couple of hundred feet. And it seems like isn't, I'm, I'm just wondering if they aren't, haven't already been collecting that data, don't have that kind of stuff available already for the majority of, of uh, Google account users. And if they couldn't right now retroactively, once they identify, um, uh, you know, a, a COVID-19 sufferer, if they, I, I, if they can't already retroactively go out and figure out where they were. I think it's not exactly, they don't really care precisely where you were. They care, this, this matter, but, but who you were near. So it doesn't matter like, oh, I was at the, the Starbucks at the corner of, you know, Main and Second. It was, oh, I was within six feet of Joe Blow who was standing on the same street corner for a right. moment with But me. what I'm saying is that they also, they, they know that I was at Starbucks but they also know that Joe Blow and Sally Struthers and whoever else was at that same Starbucks at the same time. I guess, yeah. Yeah, but I think that, I mean, the phone's putting out a little ping that only reaches a few feet every, you know, and every few minutes. And so like, oh, you heard that ping? Then you were definitely within. So is that, is that what they're doing? They're doing phone-to-phone kind of stuff? Yeah, it's, it's a direct phone-to-phone Bluetooth thing where it sends out a little right. uh, a short just okay, so that transforms my question then, really, because it may uh, my my statement still stands. They're already doing GPS-based positioning and re- um, um, location recording. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems like it would also be enough, or at least better than nothing. Well, I think one difference is that you're still talking about a specific application, Google Maps, and you have chosen to share some of your information. Not everybody has Google Maps installed. Not everybody shares their location with it. I know one person who specifically downloads offline maps and uses Google Maps exclusively that way so that he can turn his phone cellular data off and still be able to use it. This is built into the operating system so people don't have to download anything. I understand. What what I don't know um, is the functionality that is made visible in Google Maps. Is it part of Google Maps or is it part of the OS? I, I would guess that it's part of the OS and that Google Maps is just using it or exposing it in some way. Um, and, but you're right. I mean, there's, there's ways to that, that some people may have their GPS turned off or, you know, the location sharing isn't explicit. I want to share it with an individual. Somewhere in the permissions, there may very well be, well, yes, you are also sharing it with Google, right? Um, I don't know. I just, it seems like there's an opportunity that, that they're, if the conspiracy theorists at least would say there's an opportunity to use all the data that's already been collected uh, to, um, uh, to get pretty close to what you've just described. I think the conspiracy theorists are way too busy now with <laughs> all sorts of other things. They're too busy lighting fires to 5G towers. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, there's just <laughs> so much, there's so much going on. I, 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 I really think, they're kind of stunned into silence by like, where do we even start? But, um, but yeah, it's uh, so, but I do gather that this is the kind of thing where until you use your code, kind of your data is like private. It's like on your phone, it's just being accumulated. And then as soon as you say, okay, I want to use this code, mm-hmm. 
then it's like, all right, let's share all these data points out so that, uh, you know, we can build this picture of where sure. you've been and link that to other people. Right. And the purpose behind the one-time use code is to ensure that nobody spams it with false positives, for example. Mm. That's actually a really good point. Remember the guy who uh, uh, faked a traffic jam on Google Maps by running a, uh, a little red wagon full of uh, phones across a bridge? <laughs> and they were all reporting their location, so it looked like there was a bunch of traffic going across that bridge. Um, <laughs> and all he was, he was pulling a wagon full of phones. I um, know that. The, yeah. um, did, um, is there, have you heard of an ETA for when this is supposed to roll out? Uh, I have not. I think it's on that Apple and Google just announced this week. So I'm not quite sure. They've been working on it for two and a half weeks. And I, I don't have an ETA on that. Okay, cool. Well, I do think it's a wonderful use of the technology, especially if people, it's interesting. There, there is a dilemma, right? Uh, if you only support people who opt in, good for them. But then you still run the risk of, um, the folks who choose not to opt in, um, making the data less useful than it could be. Right. And the author of the article on The Verge says that he has fewer privacy concerns when it comes to a pandemic. So there's more information he's <laughs> willing to share about himself if it's for the greater good. So hopefully we, we will see people opt into this, yep. uh, even people who may normally have privacy concerns. Fascinating. Fascinating stuff. I hope it turns out. Gary, you want to talk about sports? Get off this podcast. Can't talk about sports here. I think we lost Gary. Good. We're not yeah, talking no, about sports then. I'm here. I'm here. I just have a, I have my own private mute button. It's different <laughs> than, than what you guys see. But um, in the world of sports, like, I'm just like a non-sports guy. Like I'm one of those guys that makes jokes about like not watching the Super Bowl and Super Bowl Sunday and all. But in the world of geeks, <laughs> I'm very much a sports guy because I do watch baseball and occasionally a hockey game, that kind of thing. Uh, so I'm kind of missing sports right now because baseball hasn't started. And who knows if it will actually start. Um, so I'll take anything I can get. So there's been a couple interesting developments this week. One was um, on Sunday... I decided to just had this idea in my head. What is on ESPN right now? Since there's no basketball, no hockey, no baseball, nothing to talk about. So I flipped on ESPN and there was the spelling bee. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I must have gone to the wrong channel. This must be ESPN2 or ESPN Extra or um, perhaps, uh, you know, the Ocho, which is was a fictional thing, but now it's real. Um, and I decided to, uh, I, I looked and it, sure enough, it was realized ESPN, like the main channel. And it really was showing the spelling bee. And it really even wasn't the current spelling bee. It was a rerun from 1997. So I thought, wow, that's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, that that would be the main thing on like the main sports channel right now. And the whole day was just, you know, spelling bees. Have any of you guys tried tuning into like ESPN or anything? No, I no. would never think to tune into ESPN. Well, well neither yeah, would I have. I have ESPN hidden on my. Uh, oh well, they see you're you're more more of a true geek than I am. I mean, <laughs> the ironic thing is 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 the this year's spelling bee has been canceled or postponed. It was supposed to happen right. in May. Yeah, I, I just love, think it, I love I, the Scripps National Spelling Bee. Yeah, and I think it's funny, and I I think what I've learned is that ESPN does actually air the Spelling Bee live, mm -hmm. but you know I don't want to watch an old baseball game, let alone watch an old Spelling Bee. I just thought it was funny the 1997 Spelling Bee was what was on. So, but why would you not want to watch it? It's not like spelling has changed. <laughs> yeah, but he already knows the winner. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I feel if I could look up and who find out who the winner was online, that it's not you know, it's, if it's not live, it's not exciting. Um, so. A couple other things happened. One is, you know, baseball. They started uh, doing this thing where they have actual baseball players playing baseball video games online. It's called the Show 20. So they picked a player from each team, a current player, and they 
are doing a round robin match where each player plays one player from another team and represents their team, uh, playing uh, playing it on a PlayStation and and streaming it live, and um, and then there's going to be a playoff and everything like that. So I've got a link th- to that. I thought that's interesting. Watch I it. think it's I, I saw a headline too. somewhere where um, they're doing the same thing with NASCAR. Where they've oh, got okay. they've yeah. got some of the drivers now driving in the video game version of the races that they would be in. Hey, um, so ES, what you're saying though is that ESPN is slowly becoming Twitch. Yeah, well, th- well, this wasn't even on ESPN, <laughs> right? I guess they can't get the, uh, the, or they didn't think this would be big enough for them to air or whatever. Oh, okay. This is like streaming on Twitch, actually on Twitch is where. Oh, okay, okay. You could watch the baseball stuff. I think they do it on Facebook Live too and all, but Twitch is like the first thing. We'll have a link. And where you could watch this, they've only really begun this little mini season of of sports video games. But besides that, there is actually some real baseball in the world because I think it was yesterday they started uh, in Taiwan the uh, Chinese baseball or Chinese public baseball league. I think that's what it's called, and they um, are a Chinese professional baseball league, CPBL, and they started the real season, but with nobody in the stands. So it's That's just be so weird. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, but the real players playing and real games and all that stuff. So, uh, and you could, you could stream it. There's actually a subscription service that, you know, normally I would, would think I'd just be crazy to, uh, to want to pay 35 bucks for the year, but I'm actually considering 35 bucks <laughs> adopting what I think there's like eight teams and saying they're my team. And now I can watch every game <laughs> live. And, uh, but I think I, I gather that the announced announcements are not in uh, English. So I may have trouble following it. But didn't, didn't you, weren't you watching Spanish baseball for a while I, to learn Spanish? I talked about that on an ep, early episode. I've never done it, but there's a, a, a radio station here in Denver that uh, broadcasts the Rockies games, but in Spanish. And you always see ads for it and everything like that. And I've always thought if I wanted to learn Spanish, I would just dedicate myself to only listening to the radio uh, the Spanish radio broadcast, even if I was watching TV, just have the Spanish radio broadcast on. And I know baseball well enough that I think after 150 games, I'd, I'd actually be fluent in Spanish, at least baseball related Spanish. So yeah, maybe I, this is a good way for me to learn Chinese. There you go. It's, we talked about, we talked about it last week about not having an audience. Um, yeah. Like I said, that's that's got to be weird because, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of baseball, but, um, you know, it seems like a lot of the experience is the crowd. Mm-hmm. And it's just not going to be there. Last week, we mentioned that um, a couple of, uh, you know, late night talk shows are doing without, well, they're doing it all via Zoom, uh, but they're doing it without audiences, which means they don't know when to... Uh, you know, whether a joke has landed or not, right. those kinds of things. And uh, what I noticed this week, I listened to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which is a radio show, does basically the same thing. They're doing it via Zoom uh, without an audience, and they normally do record in front of a live studio audience. And uh, they actually realized how awkward it sounded and almost tongue-in-cheek, but not quite, uh, they've actually added some sound effects, some, some laughter, applause kinds of sound effects. And as fake as you know it is, it feels better. Yeah. So I, I wonder if, if they might end up uh, doing the same kind of thing for your, uh, for your baseball games. Maybe. There was also uh, Saturday Night Live was on this weekend. I thought that was a great episode. It, it was. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think it was a lot more creative and interesting than the typical mm-hmm. episode. I did watch uh, the intro, Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was, again, well done. Uh, I did not end up watching the Zoom call because I've been in enough Zoom calls to know, you know where, all the, <laughs> where all the funny points are, and they're not funny yeah. anymore. Um, but I assume they did a good thing with that. Uh, what, yeah. else, what other kinds of things did they do at home? I mean, how did they, how did they pull it off? I mean, it looked like most of the stuff was, you know, just uh, they just created things out of some of the characters they've used, like um, Kate McKinnon did her Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. But as a workout at home sketch, you know, how 
RBG uh, works out at home okay. uh, during isolation. Lifting like a Q-tip, you know. Yeah, because you're so <laughs> tiny, right? So it's like a Q-tip and a tea, a tea bag, you know, lifting it up and everything like that. But it, it was uh, funny and some good good jokes in there and there was some music video type stuff just mm -hmm. created i mean pete davidson had two music videos and one of them was just done in his mom's basement and at the end it even said directed by pete's mom because <laughs> that, that'd be somebody else there holding the camera and they did so. the news which was pretty normal and there was a yeah. musical guest which was just an acoustic set which was fine yeah. you know just a guy playing his guitar uh you know so some of it was pretty normal yeah I'm looking, I hope they do, I hope they continue to put out episodes yeah. because otherwise that they're not going to be able to do any more of the season, I don't think. Um, I watched the, the Colbert uh, monologue. Yeah. I watched it yesterday. And yeah, like you were saying, with, without the laughter though, I mean, he'd tell a joke and then like nothing, you know, and, right. and he, he was still leaving space for laughter, but there's yeah. no laughter. And I, I, I really don't like to watch shows that have uh, canned laughter but, mm. but yes, yeah, something was certainly missing, you know, right. they, when he was like leaving space for an audience to laugh and then there was just like nothing. <laughs> yeah, real, I mentioned last weird. week. Go ahead. No, just real weird. That's all. The, um, uh, John Oliver, the last week tonight on HBO, uh, we watched that the other night. Same thing. I mean, it's, you know, he, he, he lands his jokes the way he lands his jokes and leaves space for the laughter that isn't there. Um, it, it, does feel a little weird. Uh, it feels weird. I wonder if it would feel weirder if they didn't, because especially the types of shows we're talking about where the jokes are not mm -hmm. like simple knock-knock jokes. You know, they're usually political in nature right. and all this. And you do sometimes need a pause to, between the jokes to process it, not right. to process it like I need to figure out what's funny, but to appreciate that, you know, the burn on Trump right. or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to hear them just go right into the next joke because it's like, hey, I was still enjoying the last joke. So I, I don't know where the right thing is. The funny thing is, is they don't know either. But, you know, who does know are YouTube comedians because they've been doing it since the beginning, right? True. They've never had a live audience. So if you ever watch some of the YouTube stuff, but they don't, they don't do monologues the same way, which is maybe, maybe the whole trick there. She can't really do a monologue like that it's a whole different beast than actually being a youtube comedian and just yeah he used the same word but monologuing right. as in more dramatic you know like more of a thinking thinking in terms of shakespeare or just a you know a play where there's a monologue and there isn't a pause because you're not supposed to be talking to somebody whereas the, the talk show monologues you are supposed to be talking to somebody one thing I will say is that all of them, I mean, clearly, you know, these are trained professionals. This is what they do for a living. Um, they are all being very open about the fact that this is weird for them too, right? Mm -hmm. They will talk about how it's weird not to have an audience and how things don't feel quite the same and they're doing the best they can. Um, and, you know, it's, it's working. It's just working in, in a different way. Um, I did want to mention one headline that I ran across earlier, and by headline, I mean, of course, that I did not read the article, because who reads articles anymore, is um, that apparently the WWE, to go back to sports, if that's what you want to call it, um, <laughs> is working to declare themselves an essential business in Florida, so that they can continue to have their um, their wrestling matches. And I thought, Okay, that's a very Florida thing to do. That's the most Florida thing ever. <laughs> yeah. So well, apparently um, they're recording without an audience as well, but still doing the the, the uh, theatrics. Theatrics. You know. They could maybe they could do the theatrics from six feet away. <laughs> right. <laughs> throw a chair. I mean, you could throw a chair one <laughs> six feet. Come on. <laughs> uh, so, in other news. I ran across this. I actually stumbled across this uh, from our friend uh, Tara Kalashane's uh, research buzz uh, news feed uh, that uh, Tector is reporting, quote, how Stakem became the tweeting voice of reason in a pandemic. Now, I had to think back on this. Stakem is a frozen meat product. Are you guys familiar with them? I, I, in my college days, very familiar with those. Yes, I've heard of it, but... Nope. Not really. 
I had at least one friend up in Canada who said that she misses them. And, and as soon as she's let across the border, uh, she's going to have to go find some more. The, um, um, they are literally a frozen meat product. It's just, you know, a, a specific kind of, of formed, I think, frozen meat that makes it easy to, I don't know, make sandwiches or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they've started tweeting um, some intelligent stuff. And I, what it turns out is that the guy behind the social media account just basically started to get frustrated at what he was seeing across the board and started using this platform as a way to say, hey, you know, listen to real experts, don't listen to the fake stuff, here's how you tell, that kind of stuff. And yes, I understand that it's ironic that, you know, I'm telling you to avoid manipulation by the media from an account whose job it is to sell you stuff by manipulating your perception of its product. which, but it was a very interesting, very interesting thread. Uh, one of the great quotes that I, I pulled from it was that uh, communicators aren't experts and experts aren't communicators. In other words, the people that are the best at communicating seem to be the least uh, uh, qualified to actually speak about the topic that they're talking about. Whereas the people that typically are the most qualified are the worst at getting their ideas across to the general public. And that's, that's unfortunate and is what I think leads a lot of people to, uh, uh, to fall for various and sundry um, fake or um, at least misleading information online. Uh, the fact that, uh, like I said, this, this uh, essentially product sales slash entertainment account has turned into something that's tweeting some really, uh, salient, relevant, coherent information is uh, not just ironic, but also kind of just interesting. And I was wondering if you guys had run across other examples of uh, of accounts that are doing something where they're actually leveraging their authority, the you know in the in the marketplace, even if it's outside of pandemics, um, to to have their audience pay attention to something important. I mean, we hear about, uh, you know, Wendy's and Burger King going at each other on, on social media, but this is more than that. This is, this is more about, uh, you know, okay, time to, time to pay attention to some real people here. Yeah, I'm reading the Steakum feed right now. This is the first time I've heard of it. Really interesting stuff. It's like, wow. I wish uh, there's probably someplace I could pull up a chart of, like, Twitter followers for Steakum. I bet you it skyrocketed because I certainly would never have thought of following this account previously. I'd forgotten about their product. I mean, seriously. I mean, you know, I didn't even realize that. They yeah, were I guess. Around. I mean, I haven't eaten, you know, I, I don't eat meat anymore. But back in the, my college days, I used to, that would be a standard thing in my freezer because, you know, it was frozen. So it lasted a long time. All you needed was some bread, take it out. Uh, I guess I fried it in a pan really quick. A few minutes, throw it on a sandwich, and it was like a little homemade steak sandwich. Right. Well, I know that, you know, I ended up, what I said when I, I shared it, I didn't retweet it, but I shared it on my Facebook account. I uh, said, yeah, I'm going to have to go find some of this stuff again. I just, you want to reward people that are doing intelligent things online, uh, which is, I realized, not the model, right? We reward unintelligent things with likes and views and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I th- just thought this was a great way of uh, of bringing a product back into some kind of social relevance. Yeah, they got really lucky with somebody to run their Twitter account there because yes, usually you end up with the opposite of this, you know, and bringing bad press or either uh, that or you bad. you end up with um, someone who's hamstrung by corporate, right? Yeah. They don't. They they just don't like those kinds of risks. Fortunately, I think that there are enough examples of uh, Twitter threads that have gone off topic and been really successful that uh, someone who is in who does social media for a living uh, at one of these corporations can at least point to these examples of hey, there's method behind my madness. You know, it, it's not a bad thing. So anyway, just thought that was interesting. Thought I'd share that. Um, in our Ain't It Cool section, 
Uh, I just wanted to point out that one of the things that's happening here in Seattle with the number of businesses that are closing, and I'm assuming it's happening elsewhere as well, uh, we have a number of businesses that literally boarded up. In other words, they once they shut down and they realized it was going to be a while, um, they did the uh, the earthquake and looting thing where they just boarded up the windows with plywood. And now we have street artists coming along and painting art on these things instead of, you know, derogatory graffiti or tagging or anything like that. Uh, they're actually doing some very interesting, sometimes hopeful, sometimes positive messages, sometimes just interesting, good-looking art. And I thought that was a very interesting approach to, uh, to dealing with some of this. Is this happening in, in either of Portland or Denver, you guys? I'm seeing it in Denver. Yeah. I, uh, I walked to the post office, took the dog and I walked to the post office a couple of days ago, walked down what is kind of Denver's main street called Colfax. And uh, first of all, it just broke my heart because Colfax is, I mean, it really is this old, you know, center of commerce street and all these bars, restaurants, uh, tattoo parlors, things like that. And they're all boarded up, closed up, you know, signs on the door kind of thing. And it really is just very disturbing to walk down. It makes you just, you know, halfway through, you just want to run home and just hide under the blankets and cry. Um, but some of the boarded up stores did have uh, artists, not really like elaborate pictures, but certainly the words and stuff, you know, uh, you know, we'll be back Denver, stay strong, you know, in colorful bubble letters with, you know, uh, extra f flourish to them and things like that. Yeah, I don't think I, I have barely been out of the house, but I haven't noticed too much of that here in in, in Portland. Interesting. I would have expected Portland to be. Uh, but really, be I've, ba I've barely been out of the house. <laughs> well, good for you. Okay. Unlike us, we're well. I'm at least looking at the news. But yes, unlike unlike um, uh, Gary, then I guess who who couldn't stay at home. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I never got closer than like twelve feet from another person the entire time. Right. Um, I did actually two excursions. One was to the post office and I knew there was a box outside the post office that I could drop the letters in without having to go in because uh, mm -hmm. I saw they were only allowing four people into the post office at a time. And there was a line outside that wow. had everybody spaced. Um, and then another time I walked and I got lunch from one of my places I usually go to, you know, when I try to support these places and keep them going. And they were offering doorstop, uh, doorstep pickup. And I was curious what that was. So I decided, well, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go take the dog for a walk and go see what it is. And I ordered my food on my phone, like sometimes I would do anyway. And they actually had, uh, the front door was opened and then there was a table blocking entrance, but on the table would be put sandwiches that had people's names on them. And you had placed your order in advance uh, and then you would go up and there were people gathered around, but, you know, 10, 15 feet apart from each other, kind of waiting. And a guy would come to, come to the table, put a sandwich down and yell out the person's name. And that person would approach the table and take their sandwich. The funny thing was, is they, uh, something on my sandwich they were out of. So I'm standing there waiting for mine and I get a phone call from inside and I had a conversation <laughs> with the guy about They're what calling he, from inside the building. Yeah. <laughs> what could be substituted for the sand, you know, and then I was like this and then, you know, and then five minutes later there was my sandwich and I walked up, got it and, uh, and then uh, sat and ate it in the park where everybody was spaced like 20, 30 feet away from each other um, in random little spots in the park and, uh, and then continue on my way. So kind of interesting the way things go on, I guess, in some ways. And people still wanted to go and go to the sandwich shop. People still wanted to go to the park, even though it couldn't be near another person. It's interesting. Um, I mean, I, I, the, my argument for going to the sandwich shop is what you alluded to, right? You want to support these businesses. Yeah, definitely. Um, I absolutely went to our favorite hamburger place here in uh, Woodenville last night to, uh, you know, we phoned in an order and I picked it up and brought it home uh, specifically because, well, A, we really needed a burger. But mm. it was like, these people, I mean, I want them to be here when this is all over. And the only way that's going to happen is if, is if some number of people uh, continue to do business with them under these circumstances. And the good news is, I don't know, this sounds like your sandwich shop was doing, you know, as good a business as they could. I know that uh, the burger place was doing, seemed to be doing uh, a relatively steady business. Uh, so that at least was encouraging. 
Yeah, I, every time I go either do something like that or we order something from you know, one of the delivery services, mm-hmm. you know, I figure it pushes back my next shopping trip to the supermarket by a third of a day. and and we've done enough that instead of having to go shopping after 12 days i've now pushed it to 14 i think tomorrow morning is going to be will be uh 14 days and i'll be returning to go and pick up because we're going to be out of milk and eggs and everything today Mm -hmm. so uh but you know that that little bit helps sure to to, uh you know it's i'm going to the supermarket less and I'm also helping out these the places I normally eat at. I think I mentioned before too how there's a Denver tip jar, which is a Google spreadsheet that's public, and people have put their names on it. So it'll be like the name of the restaurant, the name of the server, and the like either their Venmo or PayPal information. So you can go onto this public Google spreadsheet, find somebody that you you knew, and there was like a a, a um a waitress at our local restaurant that always, we always got, so, you know, our table and, and we got to know her pretty well. And so I go on there and I, you know, tipped her through PayPal, I think. Mm-hmm. And also the woman who cuts my hair is on there and I was able to uh, give her a tip, even though, uh, you know, I'm not getting a haircut at the moment, um, but at least something since she can't work. So have you uh, purchased any gift cards? No, you know, the local places are hard to get gift cards for. You know, it's mostly the bigger corporate places that you get gift cards for. The local places, it's tougher. It's interesting because the um, I've done two gift cards so far. Um, one was for our, our favorite restaurant, you know, the one where we have the table and we know the waitress, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they just shut down completely. Uh, during this. They're not even doing takeout right now. And uh, they are a small corporation. They have like six or eight locations around here. Uh, but I went to their website and sure enough, they sell gift cards. So I, you know, ordered some. Uh, but the other one was like a one-off. Uh, you know, it's a small business. It's a small, uh, it's the beer bar and tap room I've talked about before. Uh, and they set themselves up with gift cards like last year. And it just turned out to be really convenient. Last time I was there to pick up uh, to pick up lunch, I said, "Hey, sell me a gift card at the same time." So, yeah, that worked out really well. I'm trying to. I'm looking for those kind of opportunities to see if you know the places that I want to be here again. I want to come back in two or six or twelve months, however long it's going to be. Um, you know, we gotta those those that can need to be able to uh, show their support through. Yeah, us. I saw an estimate that. Uh, 30%, this estimate was that 30% of restaurants just weren't going to come back, <clears throat> come back. I believe it. No. I do. I and depending if this goes longer, then I'm sure the number would be higher. Right. I mean, I think what one of the things that this has really uh, brought into focus for a lot of people, and it's true not just for restaurants, but also for just people, uh, is how close to the edge uh, so many people really run. Right. This, this concept of living paycheck to paycheck, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And for small business in particular, uh, you know, having a couple of months worth of expenses or a month's worth of cash so that you can do without your income for a couple of months, um, it's just, that's, that's yeah. unheard of in the small business world. I mean, that's right. just not something that... No, yeah, it's true for people. It's true for small businesses. It, apparently, it's true for airlines as well. <laughs> Everyone's living <laughs> paycheck to paycheck. True, true. Yep. So, interesting. So um, the to- other... I, if I can jump in. Please do. Getting takeout food has never really been one of my habits, and this pandemic hasn't changed that, but I do want to support restaurants. So what I've been doing is buying gift cards to be sent to friends of mine, especially those with kids at home who may have their hands full not available to cook. Now, I don't, you know, my friends are all across the country. I don't know what restaurants are near them, but I go to the website, givelocal.co. You punch in a city. And it lists all the restaurants in that area that sell online gift cards with links directly to the gift card page on their website. Mm. And then you just make your purchase there and send the gift card off to my friends. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really awesome. Awesome. I'm looking at it right right now. now. (laughs) (laughs) 97212, Ken. (laughs) I'll keep a note. Thank you. (laughs) Well, my zip code's not in there. Oh, well. You can also add restaurants if they're not already in there. Right, right. That's very cool. 
Um, oh, and it's from USA Today. I don't think it was originally when I first found this website. I think it was built by some individuals I follow on Twitter, and it actually resided at givelocal.co. But right. now when you go to it, it redirects to USA Today. So that is true. Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, you know, they've got, you know, somebody behind them that's, that's um, you know, legit. And I will say the version that you find on the USA Today website is much better than the original version I saw. Sure. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks for that. Um, the other random ain't it cool thing that I wanted to mention is that last week while I was on the elliptical, I started watching, of all things, Jesus Christ Superstar. And uh, the reason is, of course, that um, Andrew Lloyd Webber, along with a couple of other folks, decided to make some of his uh, musical productions free for people during the um, during the you know during the lockdown. What they were doing is they were uh, um, they would basically on Friday make one of his shows available for forty eight hours. And of course, this last weekend being Easter weekend, it was going to be Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, I enjoyed the music. Um, it's, it's one of those things that uh, my very first eight-track tape was, in fact, the soundtrack to Jesus Christ Superstar. And for those of you who don't know what an eight-track tape is, <laughs> ask, your, ask your grandparents. I was thinking ask your parents, but no, we've skipped a generation. It's time to ask your grandparents on that one. Anyway... You know, so I do the elliptical, and I do like 45 minutes at a time, and, and the show is a little bit longer than that. In fact, it's longer than twice that I found out. So, you know, on Friday, I watched a part of it, and on Saturday, I watched a part of it, or I think, no, Saturday and Sunday. And then um, yesterday, I came down and, and wanted to start watching it, and oops, I was outside the 48-hour window. So it literally just disappeared from uh, YouTube, which is where it had been playing. Uh, but as it turns out, uh, Amazon... He dies. I don't... I don't <laughs> Spoiler, um, the um, uh, Amazon, and I don't know if it's an Amazon Prime perk or not, but uh, while you can purchase, of course, this specific uh, performance of uh, the musical, the uh, you could rent it for zero dollars. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, you have to use your rental within 30 days. And as soon as you start watching it, you have to finish it in 48 hours. And of course, I finished it today. Uh, but I just thought that that was interesting. And Amazon is another interesting place to go looking for these kinds of opportunities. If you're you know, looking for things to watch that um, uh, you know, are normally costly to you, uh, it's worth poking around right now. Gary, I saw some uh, a headline this afternoon that Apple TV is actually making like half a dozen of its, of its, uh, uh, its own shows available for free to everyone as well. Yep, yeah. So, yeah, if you didn't spend, well, if you didn't go for the free trial or you did spend uh, five bucks a month, then there's some things that you can watch. Yeah, yeah, and they look like interesting things. I mean, I may end up actually- They are, I've watched- almost everything apple tv's put out and it's i've been i have not been uh it hasn't been time wasted it's been good some good shows yep how about you me oh for uh, talking yeah. about shows yeah. uh i've been watching has anybody else been watching westworld absolutely no no i so season three it's you know the first two seasons or i should say actually just the first season was really just redoing the movie but modernizing it and making it way better than the than the old movie um and then season two kind of was like the sequel to that you know carrying on uh after the plot from the movie kind of kind of went but still basically staying about the same and then it really wrapped up except that there you know were some pretty important loose ends i don't want to give too many spoilers so um so season three is something completely different it's basically almost like a completely new show um and it's really good and it's excellent science fiction like i'm watching this thing and i'm like this is some of the best science fiction on television right now the the, the original westworld story was a pretty specific idea but this new new uh, season here has got all sorts of interesting things going on 
And I'm like, this is, I mean, it reminds me of classic science fiction, a lot of classic themes from, uh, you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s science fiction stuff going on in this new season told really well. What do you think? I, the, the hardest part I had with um, Sunday's episode yeah. was at the end where they say, only three more episodes this oh, season. It's yes. like we went, no. No, make more. <laughs> no, but it's ex- it's excellent stuff. I just had to say, I mean, I was just, at the end of like the last episode, I was like, man, this is some solid science fiction television. Really yes. good stuff. Yes. And it really requires thought and yes. attention to, to, to um, there's a couple of things that happened this season that weren't at all obvious on the entry to the season that uh, you end up picking up on along the way. And it's just, it's, it's fascinating. It really is. I, I'm enjoying it myself. Yep. Yep. What have you been watching, Ken? You always watch interesting sci-fi things. And I generally don't watch a lot of television. The only two shows I watch usually are anything Star Trek because I co-host a Star Trek podcast, Transporter <laughs> Lock, and I did watch Picard, uh, which was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It, I was going to say, some... quick, quickly, thumbs up or thumbs down, but I hear a thumbs up there. Well, at first I felt like I didn't like it as much as I was supposed to. The first five episodes were good, but not great. And then it got amazing. And then it took a little dip down. So overall, I would say it was pretty good. And I'm looking, I would say it was much better than the first season of Discovery, for example. Uh, But yes, overall, a thumbs up. Cool. However, I am currently staying at an Airbnb that has a television, which I've not had for the last six months that I've been traveling. So I'm taking advantage of checking out some shows that I suspected I would like. For example, uh, a lot of shows that I only saw the first season of. So I just binged season two of The Good Place, mm. which mm-hmm. is oh, yeah. amazing yep. show. No Love that show. Yep. Uh, and then I also want to watch season two of Timeless, season two of The Orville, and I yep. recently yep. watched season five of The Flash, and I'm pretty sure there's another show I'm forgetting. Oh, I want to watch uh, the Dark Crystal t- series that Netflix did mm-hmm. because there's a video game based on it that I want to play. So, yeah, there, there are some things out there that are on my list. Oh, and I want to binge The Mandalorian at some point. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Orville I'm looking forward to coming back on Hulu because apparently there'll be a little, uh, they'll have freer reign in terms of uh, everything from storytelling to language. That should be interesting. Okay. Mm. Saving so- old software? Saving old software. Uh, this couple of projects I've been in, in, uh, involved with uh, in the last couple of weeks, I thought it would be interesting to talk about saving old software. Um, I, I helping to being part part of saving old software in a couple of very couple of different ways. Um, Carol Shaw, who was one of the first programmers uh, at, at Atari. She, she did some, some programs for the Atari VCS or the Atari 2600 uh, video game system in the late 70s, um, sent me the source code for a beta version of the Checkers game that she wrote at Atari. The source code was on about, I would say, 100 sheets of green bar computer paper <laughs> um, that she had found in her attic or whatever she was moving. And she had given some, uh, some other stuff uh, that she had found previously to a, a museum. Um, and after the fact, I mean, I don't think she regrets giving it to the museum, but she regrets that it is not available to the general world. So she sent it to me to did get digitized and, the best way that I could. Uh, and then I'm, it's my job to send it to the museum, which I can't do right now because they're shut. But um, it's, so what I did was I, I took uh, uh, the, this, these green bar computer paper and uh, basically photographed it using my phone uh, at, at the, the, with the best quality that I could. And I put these photos up at internet archive and within a week, somebody had, done the work of OCRing and then cleaning up the OCR for this code. So now it is a program that can be compiled 
and run in your Atari emulator, for instance. And people have been uh, going crazy looking at this code, which is just like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not much of an assembly language programmer, but this code is amazing, I am told, and real clean and real smart. And uh, people are, are having fun looking at this program from 1979, which could play checkers on a computer that had 256 bytes of RAM. <laughs> not even sure that much. Um, so that was fun. It was one way I, I preserved some old software this week. And the other one was uh, somebody else. Uh, um, the uh, uh, the man who did a program called uh, uh, a game called Jawbreaker. Uh, his name is uh, uh, John Harris. Uh, he sent me some discs some time ago, some very dirty floppy discs, and uh, told me to see what data I could get off them. Well, and what I, kind of dirty are we talking about here? They not. They were like filthy. I mean, like, I mean. Like yeah. like real X-rated stuff. Yeah, real real X covered <laughs> covered with uh, X-rated dust and uh, mold. Um, so I got that data off, and then honestly forgot about it for a while. Um, and uh, on it was some source code, and so I posted this this. Uh, we didn't have an, a a binary for this unreleased, unfinished game, uh, but there was source code. So I posted the source code, and within a couple of days, someone from the Atari community managed to get it running and now uh, the world has the first look at a program called Bankster which would have been published by Synapse Software but wasn't finished because I guess the market you know for this sort of thing ended before he was done but this is an amazing game that's almost done um, where you're I think you're a bad guy you're like in a, in a striped like prison outfit you're running around uh, trying to, to, to steal gold bars um, and uh, anyway, it was real neat that I mean, I I, I recovered data and from software in two different ways, and then the the community of people who like old computers managed to get these things uh, converted and running in two different ways. And uh, so, and saving old software is fun. It does sound like fun. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Ken, I've got a note here about your wrapping up your Apple II blog. That is right. And this is the first time I'm going on record as saying so. For the last 10 years, ever since April of 2010, I have been writing an Apple II blog every single Monday. I've had something to say about this computer that has been not, not been manufactured since 1993. Whether it's a personal recollection or a news story or just some sort of interesting thought or tidbit, or I think they're interesting. So that's over 600 posts I've written. And after 10 years, I think I've said pretty much everything I want to say at this time. I'm very proud that I was able to stick to that publication schedule. There aren't many things I've been able to do that regularly for 10 years. And this is not to say that I'm like backing away from the Apple II community or that I am going to be doing less with the Apple II. It's just that I want to try doing something different right now. So I may still write on my Apple II blog in the future, but not with the regular cadence that I'm committed to at this time. The bright side is that since I now have a deadline to end my podcast, I've been putting out some stories that I realized I'd never told in the last 10 years. So last week, I wrote about how I wrote a Napster client for the Apple II back in 2000. And for the first time ever last week, I released the source code for it. This week, I wrote about how I was a beta tester for Wolfenstein 3D on the Apple II GS back in 1998 and what that experience was like. And next week, I have a blog post explaining where my car's vanity license plate comes from. And what is your plate? <laughs> that plate is Juiced, J-U-I-C-E-D. And uh, no, I did not get that license plate because I'm on steroids. In fact, it was not until after I got the plate that I found out that's what <laughs> means. <laughs> I would think that now, now that I know that it's a drug-related reference, I would think that the state of Massachusetts would have forbidden me from getting that plate in the first place. But they're like, nope, here you go. You can get pulled over as much as you want. Help yourself. <laughs> that's cool. Well, I look forward to reading that blog post to understand what it relates to. I look forward to having one reader. <laughs> <laughs> and now we know why you're bringing it to a close. Yeah. Oh. So cool. Uh, 
Um, so before we go, a couple of opportunities for blatant, blatant self-promotion. Um, the article that I'm going to point folks at is Refreshing Windows 10 Without a Reinstall or Reset. That's actually, uh, it's both a recording of an hour-long live session. I've been doing weekly Ask Leo live sessions on YouTube uh, with you know great success, actually. I've been enjoying it quite a bit. So I demonstrated how uh, to do that. And there's now also an edited down version of that that just focuses on the actual rest, um uh, refresh and doesn't include the intervening Q&A and some of the dead time while we're waiting for Windows to do things. So that's um, wi refreshing Windows 10 without a reinstall or reset. Gary? Yeah, I did a uh, video last week on, you know, people love my videos on keyboard shortcuts, but sometimes there's keyboard shortcuts that are so obvious that you don't even think of as keyboard shortcuts and don't realize other people don't even know these. And one is, and this I believe works on Windows too, is when presented with a long list of things that are in alphabetical order, you can usually hit a key to jump to that letter. Yeah. So like if you have a list of 400 fonts, for instance, on your computer and you click the little menu for the font and you know it starts with the letter S, you don't have to scroll all the way down to S. If you tap S, at that point, it'll jump to S. And the same is true with like file lists and all sorts of different cases where you have long lists. And uh, I use it all the time and I take it for granted. And I thought that many people may not have realized that that's something you can do on computers. Yep. So that video was pretty well received last week. Very cool. Okay. Uh, you know, I have a, more than 100 websites that offer printable documents and templates, and some of them are more popular than others. Normally, two of my least popular sites <laughs> are printableboardgames.net and printablerulers.net. Um, but in the last couple of weeks, wow, they're getting a lot of traffic from people who are bored at home or doing uh, uh, home projects or, or, or home education, uh, homeschooling and stuff. Uh, all of a sudden, Two of my most popular sites are printableboardgames.net <laughs> and printablerulers.net. So awesome. uh, they're, the hot, they're the hot new thing. So hot old thing. So check them out. So cool. is that second site alias to printablemonarchs.com? <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Uh -huh. Sure. sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah. <laughs> Keep Can? your day job. Nice. Yeah, well, you know, it's been ages since I ended my Apple II blog, and I'm itching to get back into the blogging world, so I'm launching a new <laughs> blog. Uh, so six months ago, well before the pandemic was on anybody's radar, I chose to forsake a permanent residence and set out to travel the world as a digital nomad. Good timing. I, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, if I only knew then what I know now. Well, since I had no property partner or dependents or pets, I had nothing tying me down to a specific location. My job is entirely remote. The company is entirely distributed. So I figured, why not? So I set out to travel and I promised six months ago that I was going to blog about my experiences and the pandemic has shut everything down and given me the time to finally write about traveling. So I was told I should call the blog Travel in the Time of Corona. Uh, I am not. The blog is roadbits.net, and I have a wealth of posts all queued up about how I got ready to nomad, what, uh, how I'm getting around the country, how I'm choosing my destinations, what I did with all the stuff that I'd accumulated over 40 years of living in Massachusetts, and other experiences that I've had on the road, as well as how the pandemic is changing my travel itinerary. I had mapped out an entire calendar year of where to go, when, and for how long. And that itinerary is now in the shredder. But there are still ways to make this lifestyle work, albeit in a limited fashion. And I am chronicling that experience at roadbits.net, which just launched this week. Cool. I suspect that um, when this is all over, there are going to be a lot of people itching to get out of the house and potentially follow in your footsteps. I'm curious, um, are you currently like stuck in one place or are you still mobile to some degree? Good question. So I'm driving around the country in my car and I had arrived in Chicago last month and I found out with 24 hours notice that my housing that I had booked in Chicago was canceled due to COVID-19. So I was very suddenly homeless and I was able to change a reservation I already had in Madison, Wisconsin to start three weeks early. So I moved to Madison, Wisconsin, 
I was only going to be here for a few weeks to visit a friend, but now I'm here for a month and a half. I'm not visiting my friend because that would violate social distancing. But yeah, I am here in Madison for six weeks and I'm currently trying to plot what to do next because my next three stops after Madison have all been canceled. So I have this big chunk of time that I need to figure out where is it safe for me to go and how long can I be there? I don't have all the information I need right now to make those decisions because I'm waiting to see if certain states are going to extend their shutdowns such as Montana, which is due to end on April 24th, or Massachusetts, which is due to end on May 4th. And I'm also trying to figure out if certain summer conventions are going to be canceled or not. And they have promised to make those updates mid to late April. So once I have that information and I know when and where I'm able to be and need to be, I'll be able to start plotting my new itinerary. Interesting. Interesting times for sure. Yeah, I understand that the pandemic is stressful for everybody and we're all making changes to adapt. But me personally, I kind of envy the people who are able to make those decisions with the reliability of a permanent residence. Right. Yeah, from the safety of their own home. Right. Well, good luck, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I'm going to need it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, definitely. And be sure to check in with it. I'm I'm really curious as to how things will will turn out for you. Roadbits.net. I will uh, add that to my feed reader and start reading your articles too. It'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to having at least one reader. I think there you go. You have two. I'm subscribing right now. There you go. Not me. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) it's all right i spam his inbox anyway there you go i think that about wraps us up for this week uh the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh94 you have a comment or question for us you know what to do hit us up on facebook or twitter at the teh podcast or leave a comment in the show notes page thanks as always for listening and we will see you here again next week bye-bye bye live long and prosper